Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Look what free speech has gotten you, right? And, and if free speech is going to bring a Hitler to power, are you still going to defend the rights of those people to speak? If you talk about the things that affect your daily life. The secret to being a good actor. I don't really care, actually, whether Britain remains Britain. His dad was actually murdered in front of him. Marine Le Pen has changed the Pont National. If it's like kind of like a documentary investigative reporting serialized true crime, it often gets into questions about the justice system or the media. In an uncertain world, there's always music which can be listened to in good company. Welcome to Friday 15, the show where we speak to friends and interesting people, the backdrop of great tunes, and allocate 15 minutes to vote. Good question. Really good question. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah, I know. Ladies and gentlemen, please remain standing for the singing of our national anthem. Britain is just a small island that no one pays attention to. A former colony won the right to determine its own destiny. Hello listener, did you know you could advertise your product or service? on this show is part of the agora podcast network and they specialize in producing intelligent independent podcasts cumulatively the network has just under 1 million downloads a month so that's a lot of downloads um, you can contact us if you've got a product or a service you would like to hawk by going on to their website which is the agora podcast network.com plug over Hello and welcome to Mid-Atlantic, the show where we look at the news and the views from one side of the Atlantic from the perspective of the other. I'm Royfield Brown in an autumnal San Francisco, which means it's a little bit grey. Today we are joined by writer, editor and historian Nathaniel Popkin, who's in an always sunny Philadelphia, and by John Build Some Bloody Houses Elledge from a dark, damp Britain, ridden by Brexit and Brexiteers in a week that has seen yet another senseless mass shooting in the States in which the gun lobby would tell us this has got nothing to do with guns we ask first John, is Britain ungovernable? Theresa May says it is right that the Secretary of State for International Development Priti Patel has resigned calls have mounted for her to step down after she held meetings with Israeli politicians while on holiday 
without telling Downing Street. These are pictures of Pretty Patel leaving number 10 this evening. She was called back from a trip to Africa earlier today. Patel's departure was widely expected. After an initial discussion, she had reportedly failed to disclose another meeting she had in Westminster with the Israeli public security minister. She also visited the Golan Heights, an area which ministers are not permitted to access without authorization. Last week, she said Boris Johnson had known about her plans, but later revealed that he only became aware after her trip was underway. Many have called for the foreign secretary to resign as well. Earlier we spoke to the Palestinian ambassador to the UK. He says no minister in a government working towards a two-state solution in the Middle East should only meet with one side during a visit to the region. It is quite astounding to me how we've had such a pile-up of, of ministerial scandals that it's genuinely impossible to keep track of them all. And so you just keep remembering, oh yeah, the deputy prime minister was being investigated because there was extreme porn discovered on the, on his work computer, as you do. Let's have a quick rundown. So last week, I think Wednesday, the then defence secretary, Michael Fallon, was forced to resign from the cabinet because of uh, still unspecified sexual harassment allegations. So in a normal time period, that would be a pretty big scandal, right? A senior minister having to stand down because of a sex scandal, let alone anything to do with sexual harassment. But that's been almost entirely forgotten because three or four days after that, on I think Saturday night, First Secretary of State, Damien Green, which First Secretary of State is basically code for Deputy Prime Minister, it turned out he was being investigated by the police because of certain material on his computer, which was described as extreme pornography. Not long after that, there was a statement that the extreme pornography was not illegal, which is one of those clarifications where it's <laughs> possibly not that great that you have to make that clarification. But at the start of the week, there were two other scandals. Firstly, it turned out that the Foreign Secretary, the ever-lovely Boris Johnson, have misspoken uh, in a way that's got a British citizen in Iran locked up for twice as long as she originally was, because they now think she's she was an agent of the British state because Boris said she was training journalists when in fact she was just there on holiday. You know, you would think the Britain's chief diplomat getting a British citizen locked up would be a resigning offence. Turns out not so much. But what did turn out to be a, a resignation offence was the International Development Secretary, Priti Patel, uh, who, this is, oh God, this happened again. There's so much of this shit. I've forgotten what Priti did. What did she do? <laughs> well, didn't she have lots of meetings with Israelis, went to the occupied yes, yes. Uh, West Bank, etc., which yes, British yes. ministers aren't supposed to do. Um, basically, she's running that her own foreign policy, uh, independent of the government. Yes, that is exactly what she did. Yes, so Priti Patel has been having unauthorised meetings while on family holidays with the Israeli government and basically changing British foreign policy on her own time. That, it turns out, is a resignation offence. So there was a rather wonderful day this week where the entire British media was watching her plane on Skyscanner as it flew back from, from Uganda. <laughs> and she's been forced out. But it's been, so there's two resignations in the space of a week, two other ministers that are in very, very choppy water. And, and yet still the government stumbles on. I honestly can't remember a time when there was this much going on and when there was this such a, a wall of scandal that it's completely impossible to keep track of everything at once to the point where you kind of end up on these things just kind of blabbing because you can't remember what, you, what else there is. I got to say, I don't need to say anything. Um, all of what you just said, John, I mean, substitute some names and some minor changes, but um, the depth of, of incompetence uh, built into the government uh, that you just described in Britain, incompetence, um, immorality, um, second-rate people running huge 
departments and ministries. This is exactly what we have in the U.S. Often it is surrounding sexual infidelities of all different kinds, usually abuse, but also just people who have no clue really what they're doing and aren't serious about the the job uh, by a, a president who is completely unsuited to be the president of the United States. So, I mean, do I need to even say anything more? Uh, it's like a mirror. Nathaniel, I'm going to push you to say a, a little bit more because you because you, I think you are right. There's a unifying um, theme here of kind of a intellectual and kind of job-ready competence uh, or lack of, shall we say. But one of the things which has definitely united uh, British politics and with American culture has been... Um, Weinstein fever, whatever that word is going to, you know, when we look back historically, there's going to be a word and, and Weinstein is going to be part of it. The fact that the allegations around Harvey Weinstein, as um, people say, women saying that they too, or me too, that they have had unwanted sexual advances has definitely you now hit the, the US. So we've had the resignation of Michael Fallon the death of a, a, a Welsh minor uh, politician because of allegations around his sexual impropriety. Um, Nathan, what does this scrutiny on the workplace propriety say about us now? Why has this uh, broke? Well, why is this dam broken forth at the moment? And then, what does this say about the US and the UK? Well, you know, one of the strangest things about what happened a year ago uh, with Brexit, and then with our our election, and then again with with your election, is that those those were markers of like reactionary movements that were going exactly in opposition to where even the mainstream of society in both countries was moving, right? So in the U.S., in the last three or four years, we had been gun to make extraordinary progress on a whole host of things, but at the center of those were civil rights, There was a real and honest, finally, confrontation that said that, yeah, where we've gotten so far with civil rights isn't good enough, and it's no longer, and and that birthed Black Lives Matter. And the same goes with with women and sexual abuse, women in the workplace, women and equal pay. Like, women began to say, but wait, you know, actually what we've all decided is good enough really isn't. It's not real equality. And what I noticed was, this moment in which it, it became clear that we were pretending to have real equality with on both issues of race and gender in this country, and it extended out to, to trans rights and, and things like that. And we were, we were on the cusp of change, and the election in this country at least sort of pushed us back. It was going against the tide. So I'm not really surprised that um, we're seeing something like the Weinstein scandal, which has all these trails and is nowhere near close to being over because there's been an awakening in our society that started well before the election of Donald Trump um, with women taking power, um, women commanding different um, professions and disciplines and, and about to be at the place where they can say, no, we will not take this anymore. And so I'm not really surprised. It seems like it's out of the blue, but maybe only because we're also at the very same time in this ridiculous reactionary moment. Uh, This is an allegation of pedophilia. 
All right. There was a time when Republicans weren't divided on the issue of pedophilia. You know, what, what you've got here with Roy Moore is a credible accusation. I've worked with a ton of candidates, Leland, that get accused of any number of things. When you're falsely accused, you aggressively go out and you answer every question from any media that wants to ask it, and you get the truth out. You put your timelines together. You, you go out and aggressively defend yourself. That's not happening here. Uh, Roy Moore's going to selected media outlets to tell his story, but he's not answering all questions. Uh, I think he needs to go. Just for our British and uh, Australian Canadian listeners, could you give us a quick rundown on the Roy Moore scandal? Um, what's you know what actually is it, uh, and what's the current state of play? Here's what I was talking about. If we were in 2015, two years ago, a man like Roy Moore is at the very fringes of American political and civic life. He is a troglodyte from another world time space continuum, right? You, you're talking about a man with distinctly um, ancient views about women, about civil rights, about religion, about um, immigration. Uh, and he, he doesn't even come up on the radar of, of the American political landscape if this was 2015. Come 2016 in the election, Donald Trump sort of deputizes or you know, opens the door to absolute freaks of American political life being let in. And they rush in. They run as fast as they can, sometimes knocking each other over. Um, and Roy Moore is one of them. I mean, actually, Jeff, Jeff Sessions, who he's, you know, hoping to replace in the, in the Senate, is one of them, too. So here, here is a man, and of course he claims to be a devout Christian. He claims that um, you know, actually fundamentalist reading of the Bible is far more important than, um, than the rule of law in the United States. He claims that laws come from God, not from man, and, and, and constitutions, which is really a dividing line between people who are, are serious about being, being part of our society and people who are not serious about being part of our society. It's hardly surprising whatsoever to have a, a so-called so religious man uh, then exposed yesterday by extraordinary reporting by the Washington Post. The Post didn't you know, go after Moore seeking um, to, to take him down in this way. The Post also was not approached by the woman uh, who, his, he claim, who claims that he molested her when she was 14 they sussed this out. They did real reporting and got to that woman and got to some other women who have stories to tell about um, about Roy Moore uh, as a man in his 30s and them in their teens. In the case of the one woman, uh, what he did was absolutely illegal. It shows him to be every bit of a sexual predator, you know, to the fullest extent of the law. Uh, and so this is a very serious allegation. And... Now that Donald Trump opened that door to the uh, freak wing of American civic life, those in power, some of those are seeing this as a dividing line. So some of the more institutional Republicans are saying more should step down from being a candidate, but others are just covering for him. And that is truly uh, mind boggling. But but you know, are but are they covering or are they just trying to slightly duck their head underneath the parapet by saying if this is true he needs to resign? 
I think they're finding any way they can to keep this man and his extreme beliefs in the system. I think there's a real desire um, to bring a certain brand of fundamentalist Christianity into Washington. They see him as... Handmaiden's Tale. Yeah, that's the dystopian future which is going to hit us if Roy Moore and and his acolytes come to power. Uh, John, Theresa May has talked about a new code of conduct. How are these scandals racking Westminster on a kind of on a very visceral level sorry i'm still stuck on this 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 u.s senate candidate i mean at the, at the point where they're the, at the point where they're defending a guy who's been like molesting teenagers you kind of wonder why they're not thinking to themselves are we are we possibly the bad guys here um but that that side um everything theresa may is doing at the moment just kind of screams weakness to be honest the difficulty is like the new code of conduct kind of feels like a half a half measure because what she should be doing is saying there is no you know, there is no place for any of this in my government and we will we will clamp down on it so but why she can't, can't she, yeah why not she can only sort of discipline her party so much because she doesn't have a majority because she's dependent on firstly all her uh, firstly on the deal with the, the Democratic Unionist Party of Northern Ireland to keep her in office, but also on on the goodwill of her ministers and backbenchers because she can't afford for them to start getting the idea that their careers are going to be better served by her not being there. So which is why she's not sacked Boris Johnson when in any normal times he would be out. He would not be Foreign Secretary right now. But Theresa May does not want to create uh, more of a rival than she already has. By, or given an excuse to attack. So she's just not taking action. Everything she's doing is motivated by the urge to stay in office just a little bit longer. And isn't the irony that the DUP um, are the steadfast and somewhat now respectable part of that unofficial coalition that's keeping the Tory party in power? I wouldn't go quite that far. I mean, they're still quite... I mean, they're, they're, they're sort of their own brand of... Christian religious fundamentalists, to be honest, um, but they're kind of like they're, they're primarily motivated by by the urge to kind of bring back bring back goodies for the constituents in in Northern Ireland. That deal is kind of causing problems in terms of the Brexit deal, though, because one of the big stumbling blocks once once Brexit happens, there will be a land border between the UK and the EU around Northern Ireland, between Northern Ireland and the Republic, and. And that's one of the issues that kind of needs dealing with in the talks before we can move on to things like the trade deal and to stopping the British economy falling off the cliff. But the government still has not got even the first inkling of the solution. The Northern Irish Secretary, uh, James Brokenshire, is still promising that there will be no land border on the island of Ireland. There will be no new border between the island of Ireland and the great British mainland. And the whole of the UK, including Northern Ireland, is going to leave customs union. There is no wriggle room there. All those things cannot be true at once. If the Republic is inside the customs union and Northern Ireland is outside it, there has to be a border on the island. There is no, you know, there just isn't a solution. So they've kind of locked them. And the reason they've locked themselves into this position is because the DUP absolutely doesn't want either a land border that would hurt their, their region's economy or a seaboard that would kind of push them further away from, from the mainland. So there's just no solution this government could possibly come forward with that is going to solve the Irish border issue. This sounds like what happens when you get these old right-wing fantasies, something like Brexit is, is an old right-wing fantasy. 
closing to, the borders in the United States. Nathaniel, a, I, I, I'm, I'm with you in, in spirit, but the leader of the Labour Party is actually a Brexiteer too. So there are a few people on the left, uh, the Lexiteers, that though, let's say that emotionally, the right, the far right uh, does own the, the issue of uh, cleaving ourselves from Europe, uh, Brexit. But and as you were, sir, go on. Well, I was I was only going to say that, and so understood. And oftentimes, these you know, w- with ideology, it comes around. And of course, there are there are you know there are American labor leaders who are opposed to immigration uh, for maybe similar reasons that that the head of the Labor Party would be uh, in favor of Brexit. But I would say that um, it is what happens when you have these fantasies, these unthought through ideas, the these these. You know, dreams. Oh, we could close the borders. We could stop immigration. And there's no thought through to what that really means. And so, or you, you know, the Republicans control in, in the United States. They control all the branches of government. And they think, ah, we can lower taxes on the the rich, however we want. We can get rid of health care. We can do all these things. And they and they have these fantasies, and they get so excited over them. They've been drooling over them for so long. And then it comes time to do it, and they, they are completely unprepared for the consequences. They've, got, they've, they've spent no time thinking it through. They have no sensitivity that their ideas might be totally wrong or totally unpopular. Daniel, I, I'm with you completely, but I think us liberal, limp-wristed, pinko-communist lefties um, need to appreciate at least one thing, is that we live in a very complicated complex world and some people just want simple simple solutions to complex problems and and that is a an understandably reflexive response it's not the right one but you've got to understand when you say to people let's just build a wall that some people say yep that that'll sort the problem but it has to be said i didn't read any bit of literature or any article, shall I say, and c- correct me if I'm wrong, John, before Brexit that mentioned the problem in depth uh, vis-a-vis the Northern Ireland border with the Republic. I don't remember reading one article where somebody seriously went into this. So many of our problems in this country come down to the fact that although the United Kingdom is kind of four different uh, nations, England, Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland, you know, you can, argue about how you define nation but you've got four bits there um it's overwhelmingly dominated by england because england is 85 percent of the population so because of that our national debate is also overwhelmingly dominated by england and so nobody at any point best i can tell during the entire brexit campaign fought for even half a second as to what impact leaving the european union would have on Northern Ireland, on its border with the Republic, and even on the peace process. You know, if we get to a point where there has to be a physical border in Ireland again, it's not an exaggeration to say that could genuinely uh, imperil the, the peace process that's been, you know, that's made so much progress over the last 20 years. If you suddenly have, like, you know, customs posts uh, along a border that at the moment is largely notional, you're kind of giving angry people a target there. So there are genuinely concerns that if we get this wrong, this could kind of kick the troubles off again. And this just was not talked about even for a moment in the round to the Brexit referendum. It was all entirely about, you know, oh, Turkey's going to join the EU and there'll be 76 million Turks all coming over here trying to get jobs. It was all that nonsense. Nonsense about sovereignty. Nonsense about 350 million pounds a week for the NHS. None of which is true. 
but, but, but the I, things that were true, like, but, but like, our like notions, this border problem, we just not discussed. Yeah, but our notions of sovereignty are nonsense. Um, leavers and remainers appear to inhabit different worlds. And this is kind of reflected uh, between people who support Donald Trump and the rest, the other 64% of Americans who are actually horrified by him. Um, is this kind of like a new normal in at least Anglo-Saxon politics? I'm not going to quite say Western politics, but just the divide between people who believe in some kind of liberal consensus and others that are just kind of anti it. Do we need to just get used to this new way of being, Nathan? I don't know. It's not new. I mean, in the U.S., for a very long time, there have been um, people, I guess, on the right, um, you know, demanding that that we get out of um, the UN. You know that you know this goes way back in, into you in you in U.S. history to um, anti-Catholicism. Uh, that you know a, a real American could never be loyal. Uh, could never be loyal to, to to the Pope. You know, so if you're loyal to the Pope. How could you be a real American? Well, that this was. This sounds like the English Reformation all over again. Well, we went through it. I mean, in the 19th and 20th centuries, there were media outlets that would look and sound awful lot like Breitbart that were anti-Catholic in that in that sense, were very much opposed to the liberal consensus of that day, you know. And so there's always been this thread in the U.S. of this kind of. Um, leave us alone to our sovereignty and that it gets reflected both at the local level and then also at the national level so that's a threat of our country it's true and it, it isn't going anywhere but it's been badly manipulated by this government trump has some very strange and undeveloped and kind of childish ideas about how you negotiate with others over business or or diplomacy or war is this and but, it was but, but reflect- how, Nathaniel how can that be the case he told us he was the great negotiator he's the deal maker in chief <laughs> he's got a, a very uh, very specific notion about what it means to negotiate and but he's not serious about it so he will say he'll say to China well it's it's the US's fault that this um, this trade deficit exists you guys are just protecting your own interests and I respect that anyone who's protecting their own interests That's great. We're going to protect our own interests. Both the United States and China will have a more prosperous future if we can achieve a level economic playing field. Right now, unfortunately, it is a very one-sided and unfair one. But, but, I don't blame China. After all, Who can blame a country for being able to take advantage of another country for the benefit of its citizens? I give China great credit. To be fair to Donald Trump, I actually thought his pivot this week with what he said, uh, you know, in front of the Chinese was Mm -hmm. actually very clever, considering everything he'd said on the campaign trail. He was actually, for once, being consistent but somewhat diplomatic, if not using somewhat, uh, you know, 12-year-old language. I actually thought that's actually quite a clever way of maintaining your, your, your stance beforehand, but realising you're sat in China in front of the Premier of China and a whole load of Chinese dignitaries. It's so hard to know. I mean, it's very hard to interpret 
and, and to guess if he's being strategic or if he's following some gut instinct or if he's flying by his pants or if he's even you know being advised or listening to advice. We've spent the last year in this country trying to interpret this monstrous human being, really, um, and, and try to understand what motivates him to do what he does, try to rationally think, think about what comes out of his mouth and it's really tiresome and, and ineffectual at the, at the end of the day. Um, you know, so to follow up on what I was saying, he'll say, well, you know, if everyone represents themselves and, and protects their own needs, that's how you negotiate, right? You, if everyone equally comes to the negotiating table trying to protect their own needs, then we'll end up with a good result. But what he's done as the president of the United States is singularly weaken our country in almost every regard. And so his lack of depth of understanding of the way systems work in the world really weakens his chance to make good on this sensibility that he has about negotiating from a position of strength and protecting one's own interests. Hold um, that thought, Nathaniel. Hmm? John, how can Theresa May negotiate with the other 27 remaining countries within the EU to get the best Brexit deal that we can. God, ask me the easy ones, why don't you? It's like, as we're recording this, it's the last thing on the Friday afternoon and you basically want me to fix Brexit, is what you're asking here. Well, I just thought... Well, I just thought there's a very uh, apt analogum between Donald Trump and America's position throughout the world and his idea of negotiation, which is actually a zero-sum gain. He doesn't understand, does he, that you can enter into negotiations where both parties can win. He sees it as there has to be a winner and a loser. And I thought that was somewhat apt then to throw the ball back at you, to use an American sporting analogy, uh, to then talk about Brexit. Shoot. But I guess the difference is the United States is still the world's largest economy. It's still, you know, it may have wobbled a bit, but it's still a superpower. It's still the predominant superpower. It's still the world's largest military power and so on. You know, Donald Trump can screw things up to a quite impressive extent, but that doesn't change the fact that, you know, from a real politic point of view, so he's probably not going to manage to undermine that in four years. The difficulty Britain's got in the Brexit referendum is with is so many of the people who kind of push the national sovereignty, you know, Britain stands alone line, was based on this idea... Of, of what Britain used to be. You know, we used to be a superpower. We used to have the world's large, the largest empire the world had ever seen, etc. Whereas now we're kind of, we're, we're a mid-ranking power. We, we punch above our weight. You know, we're still, we have a lot of cultural influence. We're still the... We've still got we were, those nukes. still got those nukes. We do. Mm-hmm. We do still have nukes, although we kind of need American permission to use them, I think. Um, we were the world's fifth largest economy. I think during the course of uh, with what's happened to sterling, I think we might down, be down to seventh, just because the, the pound isn't worth what it was. Fundamentally, the EU needs us less than we need the EU. Like, if Britain drops out of the EU without a deal, that'll, that'll be annoying for the EU. A couple of the most closely tied countries will go into recession for a bit. Ireland will go into recession, probably some of the Benelux or maybe the Nordics will as well, where they kind of they have economies quite tied up with Britain's. But they'll be fine. As a block, they will be fine. Whereas if Britain can't trade with the EU anymore, we are going off a cliff. Oh no, 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 no. We're gonna do a trade deal with the Americans too sweet. Uh we're gonna be trading with the Chinese and and the Indians, surely. You know. We can do all those things yeah, as as you well know, 
and you're just trying to wind me up with we can do all those things anyway we do do all those things anyway but the nature of trade negotiations is that the larger richer power holds all the cards because it's more important to access the bigger market than the small one so we will get crushed in those trade negotiations stop, let alone you stop know, leave losing that, logic in this argument trade john, john stop using logic nobody has negotiated a british trade deal in 40 years because we've done all that at a european level you know leave that aside we're still going to get crushed just because like it's going to be american interests versus british interests and ultimately america is a lot bigger and scarier than we are Mm, right on that note on that optimistic note that Britain is screwed and America is a, a dystopian mess uh, in terms of its government we're going to talk about the last week in Trump's America which starts with the depressing ritual of mass murder it's that time of the year your vacation is coming up you can already hear the beach waves feel the warm breeze Relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. The sheriff here uh, confirmed that there was a relationship between the church behind me and the shooter. We are told now that the parents of the shooter's ex-wife worshipped here. They were not at church yesterday, but they do worship at First Baptist Church. We also learned a short time ago that between 12 and 14 of the dead are children. Eight of those killed from the same family. So first question is over to you, uh, Nathaniel. The depressing ritual of mass murder has seen another 26 people gunned down this week. Are Americans and the media getting wary about this example of American exceptionalism? Quite simply, uh, does it matter anymore uh, if nothing is ever going to be done about it? It's hardly even been on our TV screens this week. Over to you in Philadelphia, Nathaniel Shute. Uh, well, you started talking at the top of the show here about if Britain is ungovernable. And that's a, that question is the question that we have in regard to a lot of social problems in the United States. We cannot seem to act on them. We cannot seem to solve them. And there is, you know, the op- opioid crisis is one. Um, uh, and and gun, gun homicides 
Gun fatalities are another. Um, no, there is extraordinary, extraordinary wariness. There is exhaustion. After each, ma each mass shooting, and there probably have been five since that one, or more, um, that we don't really even hear about, uh, there's less and less hope that our government has the capacity, the will, the interest, the knowledge um, to, to deal with it and, and won't. And so it is very much of a feeling uh, of exasperation. I want to say one more thing, though, and, and before turning it back. This week was marked by that as well as, you know, a litany of other scandals from inside of our government. But it also was uh, the week of a very important midterm election that proved to us, as some studies have, have been showing, that the resistance that started with the election of Donald Trump is working. It's spreading, it's gaining in power, and it's showing that it has um, potency in the electoral arena. So while I say that we cannot solve these problems today, I've, I am for the first time beginning to feel like in a year or two or three, we will be able to solve some of these problems based upon the results from Tuesday. We have some breaking news for you tonight. An anti-Trump wave sweeps Democrats to victory in Virginia. Ralph Northam claiming a huge win in the governor's race, at least 13 seats in the state house flipped from red to blue. Many other local races going to Democrats tonight as well. The big question, will that wave hit President Trump and the GOP in 2018? Let's quickly look at Tuesday, because I think this is another kind of interesting parallel between the US and the UK. And then uh, we'll start to wrap the show up. So Tuesday's election in Virginia was a stunning victory for Democrats. Their governor, their candidate for governor, Ralph Northam, won by nine percentage points after polls showed that his lead was shrinking to little more than three in the last few days. Um, but this race also demonstrated just how much of American elections is actually rigged in the Republicans' favour, i.e. gerrymandering. The, the Democrats ran the field in the election, uh, taking control of the state Senate and the House of Representatives, but barely controlled both, con even though they had a much larger vote. John, can you tell us um, why gerrymandering is not an issue in the UK? Oh, well, that's simple. We've got an independent boundary commission. That it takes a certain amount of instruction from from the government in terms of we want there to be this many seats it, it's got a number of rules it has to work to it's like meant to be sort of roughly even population sizes the, the, the constituencies are meant to be coherent areas which means you know generally speaking if you can kind of have it on one side of a river or a mountain range or whatever it will, will be or like something that has a coherent identity in itself you go for a line around the town rather than cutting off like a tiny bit of the town to put it out so if you can but fundamentally the big the big difference is we have an independent boundary commission as i understand it in the united states the seats are designed by state legislatures who are obviously all motivated by politics to to make sure that their own party has as many safe seats as possible so you get the ridiculous seats with like you know very narrow bits along a single road just so that you can get all the the african-american voters into one constituency and so on we just have no equivalent of that mm. gerrymandering is it now becoming a national issue uh, nathan there is a petition to the supreme court obama is working with eric holder around it 
is this now going to be one way in which Democrats can actually show some balls and actually show the inherent unfairness at the heart of American politics? I think it's going on. I mean, it's going on in state courts. It's going on in federal courts. Uh, it's going on within state legislatures. Uh, this pushback, uh, the gerrymandering has happened to an extraordinary degree. And it's not just gerrymandering. Uh, it's also the ways in which extraordinarily well-funded right-wing uh, think tanks and, and industry-sponsored groups have impacted uh, state legislatures in terms of the bills they write, the laws that they're passing. Uh, so you, team, you put those two things together, uh, and you get these state houses that are gerrymandered in the favor of the Republicans, and then you have this inordinate influence on the part of um, right-wing and industry-specific um, lobbyists. And the end result is that the state houses have been passing some noxious laws uh, about labor and the environment and, and the economy and schools and education and things like that. This is the beginning of the pushback against that. Uh, and so in my own state, uh, I think that there's a, a lawsuit going on in Pennsylvania, and I think a judge expedited the case. So we're seeing, because there are quite a lot of, um, you know, the judiciary in the United States is fairly well split between conservative and liberal and, and moderate. So, you know, you get a judge that understands the uh, importance of this issue and they can push the cases along. And I think we're going to see a real pushback. It's going to take some time, but it is absolutely necessary. Hopefully, uh, gerrymandering is going to be something that all kind of aspects of American society and the political structures will look at in the next four years. But now, gentlemen, it's time for our takeaways of the week. Right, we're going to start with you, new boy over in Philadelphia. We know it's always sunny there. Uh, Nathaniel, tell us about your takeaway of the last seven days. The room I'm in has a uh, an old grandfather clock, which is going to ring twice for one o'clock. I think it rings two times. Um, so just warning you, that's going to be happening. Uh, I didn't think we would go all the way till one, so I wasn't worried. But anyway, last seven days, um, I go back to the election. The most important thing was that the Democratic Party showed life. Uh, I'm going to stop um, you, right? I should I should have queued you up by saying you can't talk about politics. Oh. Let our spirit soar, sir. Be philosophical. Be poetic. Tell us about uh, the beauty uh, of life, of existence. Away from right. the grubby business of politics. Uh, not politics related whatsoever? Or what uh, do you think? Uh, well, uh, what good book have you read? Maybe it's your own that, that you're writing. Tell, you could tell us about a book that you're writing. You tell us about something that you've read, something you've watched on TV. John's default is always just what he's watched on Netflix. So, uh, so there you go. All right. Uh, well, you know, this week I saw uh, the film called Jane, about Jane Goodall, a, a good British woman mm -hmm. uh, who had a very British dream of going to Africa and, and living in the wild. Uh, and uh, I, I didn't think it was a perfect film, but w what struck me about the film was that she gives us a chance to think about the world completely differently than the way we typically do. Um, she she accept she she did not accept the life that was handed to her and she went out and found a different kind of life that ultimately had such enormous enormous impact on our understanding of other species on our, our understanding of ecosystems uh, and for that I think we should all be grateful on the sort of 
melancholic end of things, it's striking to me to think about the world that she came into in the early 1960s in Africa and how immensely that world, in terms of ecosystems and species, has been uh, really mangled over that, that time period. Uh, but here's to Jane uh, and, and a great film about her life. Fantastic. John, what about you, sir? Okay, well, if I'm not, I'm apparently not allowed to sort of just go to something I've been watching on Netflix these days, so no, I would avoid you, that. No, you, you, uh, you, you can go to your old tired trope of Netflix. No, no, I've got, I've got a plan, I've got a plan. Right. Uh, uh, earlier this week, I, I was in Manchester uh, for, I got to go up there because they're opening a new bit of railway line, <laughs> and the nice people exciting. at Network Rail, yeah, well, it is for me, the nice <laughs> people at Network Rail let me do the thing where you go put on bright orange protective gear and a helmet and so on and I sort of tra- tramped up and down this new bit of track which is going to link Manchester's two main railway stations together for the first time and revolutionise the whole Northern Railway network but my, my takeaway is really just that I've, I've been up to Manchester a few times this year and it is I think outside London it's it's probably my favourite uh, British city it's just got this real sort of energy to it it's it, 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 it was the heart of the it was the first industrial city of the world it was the heart of Britain's industrial revolution and it's seen this remarkable resurgence over the last 20 years to become, become a kind of regional capital and I increasingly think we should make it the actual capital a lot of our problems in this country come down to it being far too decentralised so why don't we just change that why don't we put all the politics up in Manchester London will be fine London could be New York Manchester could be Washington DC and then you've rebalanced the economy at a stroke Oh, God. So Birmingham then will become Philadelphia stuck in the middle. Philadelphia is both Manchester and and London. That's so funny. Um, Uh, Birmingham's not that great, to be fair. So, you know. uh, Are you deliberately trying to troll me, sir? I am. Also, I'm trolling you at a moment where I've got to to get off the phone, like, right now. So I was just going to leave you hanging like that. Listen, uh, John Elliott, you go away and we'll see you again in in another couple of weeks. And we'll just continue to wrap up the show okay cheers guys later, good to talk to you alright bye bye so uh, my takeaway of the last seven days let's see what I can do up completely off the top of my head here's one I saw Thor Ragnarok actually last week I am a committed fan of the superhero genre it's one of the things that actually taught me how to read was reading Marvel comics in the, in the 1970s and getting incredibly involved in the lore of, of these people with these extraordinary abilities and actually how they had very human frailties. You know, they were the very obvious modern equivalent of the classical gods. And then to see Thor Ragnarok and how it ends is a complete utter destruction of Asgard, the, the home of the Norse gods. And at one point, without being too cheesy about it, um, while Asgard is being destroyed, somebody says Asgard is not a place it's the people and the link for me is the fact that I go to a little cafe down the road um, literally every day and when I walk in it's like a scene out of Cheers they all know my name hi Roy Field blah 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 there's Irene uh, the lovely Latino woman there is Katie who's lived in the area all her life and she must be in her mid to late 50s there's the owner there's Kelly the woman behind uh, behind the counter with a somewhat sultry voice, who John, who's a classical classically trained singer, actually has the hots for, 
and I realise that yes, I'm in a very uh, uh, particular place. I'm uh, going to this cafe, but community is actually all around people. And I was really kind of just struck by that parallel. When I go there, everybody knows my name and it's actually the people and they literally could be anywhere. This has been um, a Mid-Atlantic, um, which has been somewhat different in format. We didn't take two specific issues from either side of the, of the pond and, and look at them in depth. But there's been so much news that I decided to mash it and mangle it all together. You can follow us on Twitter where we are, where we are at Mid-Atlantic Show. Um, I am at Royfield if you want some badly formed, gra grammatically free uh, tweets. You can follow us also on Facebook by simply typing in Mid-Atlantic Show. And um, we have a website which is midatlanticshow.com. We're fighting the good and the decent liberal fight and let's keep that fight going. Let's keep up the resistance and we'll see you all again in a couple of weeks time. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.